In RUF, we want to present an opportunity for you, whoever you may be, wherever you may be coming from, whatever you may believe about God, uh, to process what we think is the core truth of the Bible of Christianity. And I, I, I sort of explain it this way, that the Bible and Christianity is about how God makes us right. That in the end, it's not about being right or doing right, but what God has done to make us right with Him. And uh, because that's what we think Christianity is, that means whether you think you're doing bad or good or in between or you're indifferent, this is a place where we think you can come and process that message and grow. And to that end, we're studying the Gospel of Luke, where he uh, carefully crafts and puts before us the person and the life of Jesus. So we've made it all the way to chapter 3. Last week we were sort of on hand for the birth of this promised child. I don't think it was too traumatic for some of you, your first live birth. But uh, Luke was very sparse in his details. Um, But... God is born in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, and angels, heaven, declare their praise and joy, and shepherds are there to see. It's this exultant, amazing thing. These shepherds go back and their lives are changed forever. And then we flip over to chapter 3, and it's 30 years later. Think about that. All the hopes, all the expectations from the last chapter, and now 30 years of silence. And we do meet Jesus here, 30-year-old carpenter. Interesting. Get tired of waiting sometimes for things to happen? Get tired of waiting for things to change? For yourself to change? Well, tonight we're going to see that God doesn't always work the way we expect Him to. And I'm going to read uh, most of chapter 3 and parts of chapter 4. So let's pick up in chapter 3, verse 15. Before this, after 30 years of waiting, John the Baptist has appeared seeming like a madman, preaching the good news of the gospel, and people are coming like crazy. We'll talk about that. And we'll pick up in verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the other evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about thirty years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. And now now you're concerned, because you think I'm going to read this all, don't you? Skip into verse 31. Um, the son of Malia, the son of Mena, the son of Mathata, Mathata, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Skipping to verse 33. The son of Amenadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. Skipping to verse 38. The son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. 
And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If, you're hungry, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it's, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. All right, I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me. Great Father, we thank you for the gift of your word and pray that you would be kind to show us uh, great things in it. Show us particularly uh, the Lord Jesus and uh, show him clearly and powerfully for us. Uh, For those who believe and know we need him. And for those who don't, and, uh, and wonder if this is all real, we ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, it's very important for this sermon that you have at least a basic knowledge of uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman series. In particular, uh, the final film, uh, The Dark Knight Rises. So a little background information. There's this guy named Bruce Wayne. His night job is called Batman. <laughs> and in the last movie, he gets beat up really bad. They break his back, and they throw him into a pit. Uh, this bad guy named Bane, in particular, uh, puts, we'll call him Bruce, because he's not really Batman, because he's all broken up, puts Bruce Wayne in the pit. And as uh, Bruce Wayne is waking up from this uh, state of unconsciousness, he really took a beating. Uh, Bane speaks, and I would actually emulate it, but you would understand what I said, because that's what it's like the whole movie. And, um, but this is what he says after listening very carefully. There's a reason why this prison's the worst hell on earth. Hope, every man who has rotted here over the centuries, has looked up to the light and imagined climbing to freedom. So easy, so simple. They're in a deep, deep pit with like almost sheer walls where you can see the light outside and the freedom beckoning you. And he goes on, And like shipwrecked men who turn to seawater for uncontrollable thirst, many here have died trying. I learned here there can be no true despair without hope. That's from the great philosopher Bain um, in, in the movie The Dark Knight Rises. Well, we, we start with that because I think what, what the Bible is consistently painting a picture for us is of a very similar thing, that humanity, if you will, is in a pit. And uh, we're looking up, looking for hope. There's reasons for hope. There, there are good things about the world we're in. We have high expectations of ourselves and the world. And, and yet we cannot seem to fix certain things. Like, all the things that really matter. And, um, like, we can't get along and love each other and forgive each other and overcome racism and poverty and family dysfunction and everything else. And it's been that way forever, it seems. And um, 
And, the, and just like Bain says, we turn to all kinds of other things for hope and for comfort. We're really good at that in our culture. We've uh, basically made an entire economy where we're really good at amusing ourselves and numbing ourselves to our uh, despair. So if I said we're, we're people in a pit and we're despairing, a lot of you might come and say, what are you talking about? And argue with me. And that's fine. I'd, I'd love to do that. That'd be great. Um, I don't mind being argued with. I have children. So come on, and not that you're children. But it would be nice to have an adult argument. That would be great. Um, but really, the question here, two questions here is, is the world really like this? Is the world really, and humanity in particular, really like a pit where we're stuck? Is sin in particular so powerful that we really are this broken and this trapped? And then secondly, if, if, there, if we really are in a pit like this, is there any reason to hope? Is there a reason to believe that anyone can bring us out or raise us up? And this is where a movie like Batman Rises, uh, or Dark Knight Rises, or any other superhero movie actually gives us something to think about. It'd be nice to think about just sort of philosophically, why in the world are we so fascinated with superheroes right now? Besides the fact that, like... Big studios are making lots of money off of it, and we just eat what they give us. But really, as a culture, for like a hundred years now, we've been fascinated with supermen and superheroes. Philosophically, from Nietzsche to governments like the Soviet Union to us, we are fascinated with supermen and superheroes. And I think part of the reason is we realize there are some problems that are just too big and too complex for us, and that we need someone, something like us, but not like us, to bring us out. Tonight we're going to see that we really are in a pit. And we'll actually even get some like extra bonus credit stuff from, from Luke, because he'll actually tell us how we got there. But, but the good news is this, that, that there's reason to hope because Jesus is like us and not like us. That's really the main point, the thing I want you to hear tonight, and it's very important that you, you, you sort of wrestle through and listen carefully how Jesus is like us and how he's not like us. So uh, Luke's little account here takes us to three different places, like three different scenes, if you will, in this movie. We start by a river, and then we, and then we move to a tree. It's a family tree, but you know, I'll call it a tree anyway. And then um, into the wilderness. And, uh, and all along the way, we'll see how Jesus is like us. He's baptized. He's a man. He's tempted. But he's not like us. He's the baptizer. He's a new man. And he's triumphant. So first, we'll start here by the river with everyone else, it seems. Really, it seems like, if you read the earlier account, everyone has come to listen to John the Baptist preach what he calls, what Luke calls a good news message of repentance. Now, I'm going to say that again. Good news message of repentance. Because we have trouble putting all that together. Like, for repentance, for some of us, is like a dirty word. Um, but what, what John is saying is that there is a way back. To God. Repentance means to turn back. There is a way back to God. You're not going to find this up there if you're looking for it, because it starts like in verses 1 through 13 or so. Um, and what's going on here is really interesting because uh, everyone's coming and doing it. It's this radical repentance, actually. What's happening is people that are Jews are coming and being baptized. Now, listen, you may think you know what baptism's for. And you may not. But in the ancient world 2,000 years ago, baptism was the way that non-Jewish people, Gentiles, joined the Jewish people. If you wanted to be a Jew, someone that like ethnically and religiously trusted in the one true God, 
you were baptized. And what's happening here is Jewish people are getting baptized. It's like admitting that you've been so bad you no longer belong to the family and you've got to go around the long way and come in the back door. It's like this. It's like if you took a test and even without getting your score back, you felt you felt so bad, you failed so bad that you actually went home and reapplied to Pitt. I did so badly, I'm no longer worthy to be a student. I need to reapply all over and start all over. That's what they're doing. This is really radical, really shocking. And even more shocking than that is that Jesus comes and he does it. You you, you see it here in uh, verses uh, 21, I believe. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also had been baptized. Um, This is really surprising for lots of reasons, but one of them is because John has just finished talking about this one. Everyone's really amped up and excited because something amazing is happening. Everyone's coming, soldiers, politicians, and they're all being baptized. It's this thing in the air, and they're wondering, like, John, are you the one? Are you the promised one? Are you the king? And and John's like, no, it's not me. This is uh, verses 15 and 16. Someone mightier than me, who's more worthy than me, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes, is coming. And when he baptizes, he won't just dunk you in the river like I do, or sprinkle, if he's a Presbyterian like me. Uh, he will uh, baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He, he will bring something from God that's so mighty it will change you from the inside out. That's what he's saying. And, and John is talking about Jesus. And a few verses later, there he is. A 30-year-old carpenter being baptized. Wait a minute. Wait. The promised king, son of God, mightier, more worthy, who will be the great baptizer, is being baptized? Do you understand? Well, that's a little weird. Jesus, basically by doing this, is saying, I'm so unworthy, I need to become like someone who never believed at all and come in the back door. Why would he do this? Well, Luke actually hardly tells you at all before something even more shocking happens. Seriously, this chapter keeps topping itself. Um, When in verse 22, this doesn't happen every day in the Bible. Actually, it never happens anywhere else, actually. Uh, As Jesus is praying, the Holy Spirit descends on him. This Holy Spirit person, figure, has been in the Bible, but not very visible. He descends on Jesus, and a voice speaks from heaven, God the Father, saying, This one is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. We call this the fatherly attestation, or you know something like that. It's clear to Jesus and to others that Jesus, who just got baptized like everyone else, is not like everyone else. In fact, these words, my beloved son, with whom I'm well placed, makes it really clear that Jesus is the last person in the world that needs to be baptized. He already has a right relationship with God. God has been pleased with him. He doesn't need this. He's been righteous. So why does he do it? Well, it's really interesting. This is one of those areas where Jesus is not like us. Uh, Luke doesn't necessarily tell us, but Matthew does, that one of the reasons why Jesus is willing to be baptized is in order to identify with us and our weakness and need. 
In other words, if everyone in the world feels like they need to get in line to get back into the family of God, they need to be baptized, Jesus is willing to say, I'm with you guys. And what's shocking about that is, none of us are like that. I mean, really, you think about it, by nature, most of us, I mean, we're willing to risk friendships before we actually apologize to someone. Right? We are really slow and averse to admit when we're wrong, when we've done something wrong. By nature, we tend to, when we know we've done something wrong, shift the blame. Well, I did that because you did this. Or to minimize our sin, it's not as bad as you think. Or to justify it, if you had a day like mine, you would understand. Or to, uh, to think we're the exception, like... You know, we, we would never actually think this, but it's one of those deals where when someone else does it, it's terrible. But when I do it, it's not all that bad because I had a hard day. That's the, what we do with our sin all the time. We're really slow to own it and admit it because we don't want to think of ourselves as needy outsiders. We really don't. Think of the last time you had a fight with your roommate. Ever had a fight with your roommate or family where you knew you were wrong and you did everything in the world to avoid admitting it? The answer is probably Yes. We don't want to do that because we don't want to be on the outside. We don't want to be needy. And Jesus, who's done no wrong, is willing to say, I'll get in line with you. He identifies with us in our need. He's not like us. But you know, there's something... uh, Knowing you're a sinner in need of forgiveness is not the worst thing in the world. It's not. I have a friend who's a pastor. He shared this story with me. I'll share it with you. He's a pastor in a large college town like ours where... College football is a really huge deal, not like ours. And uh, their church is, like, we're talking about like 80,000 people. And their church is near the stadium. And so they let people use their parking lot uh, on game day. And that means every night, every Saturday night, during a home game, at 2 in the morning, he has to come to the church and clean up the parking lot. Because at 8 a.m., everyone's going to come and There'll be beer bottles and stuff in the way. So at 2 a.m. every Saturday, he goes, or every, other, every home game, he goes and cleans up the parking lot. And he said on one occasion, as he was doing this, he, he, he told some people that were sort of tailgating way too late. It's like, hey, you need to go home. I need to clean up here. And this uh, one young lady um, proceeded to cuss him out. Well, he's used to that kind of treatment, actually. Uh, so he finished up his work and went into church. And five minutes later, he had her knock on the window. And he pulled, it's two in the morning, pulled the blind open, and it's this girl. She's sort of yelling, like, can I talk to you? So he lets her in, and she begins to, she's drunk. She's actually really drunk. But she begins to apologize, like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm not the kind of person that would cuss out a pastor. And he said to her, hey, listen, lady, or dear He's from the South. Listen, sweetheart. He probably said sweetheart, actually. Um, Darling, or something like that. Um, No one goes to hell for cussing out a pastor. You go to hell for thinking you're the kind of person who would never cuss out a pastor. And she broke down in tears. Started coming to their church every Sunday. See, that's what actually we're afraid of. To admit that we're the kind of people that do these things. But that's not the worst thing. The worst thing is to, to not know yourself and to not be able to admit it. To deceive yourself and to be slow to come to a God that invites you to come in. 
So uh, Jesus here is not like us. He, he doesn't sin. He doesn't need baptism. But he's willing to identify with us. And uh, so he's baptized, but also the baptizer. The, the next point will be the shortest point in the history of RUF pit. That Jesus is a man, but... But he's a new man. You have this long genealogy, and you read through it, and you can't help but have the impression, okay, I got it. He's got a family. He's got a family history. He's got a home. He's one of hundreds of descendants of David, one of thousands of descendants of Abraham, the the father of promise. And uh, verse 38, he's he's a son of Adam. He's he's one of us. He's one of the family of humanity. He's a person. Um, But there's more. He's a man like us. But verse 38 reads really it's an interesting use of language that Jesus is also a son of Adam son of God it's actually really interesting language that Luke is using and I think what he's doing here is hinting that Jesus is like a new Adam a new beginning a new first one Adam as the new man was the fountainhead of humanity and uh, yeah Jesus, in some ways, is just like us, part of this crazy family tree. But in other ways, he's just like Adam, a son of God, at the fountainhead of something new. That's the end of the point of your timing, jerks. Um, so, um, so we see how, how Jesus, again, is like us and not like us. But you see it most clearly in the last scene. We go from the river to the family tree to the wilderness. And then in chapter uh, 4, verses 1 and 2, we we see the spirit that Jesus has just received uh, leading Jesus into the wilderness. And in another gospel, it says, compelling him to go. In other words, it's God's will that Jesus move into the wilderness and there be tested. This is really interesting what's happening here. That he's led into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. If you know the Bible and you've you're familiar with this story, you read these things and you're like, oh, I've seen this before. And it actually reminds, I was reading this today and actually had this theme, I was trying to remember, like, where did, I, where did I get this from? It's this line, where have I seen this before? And I finally traced it down, it's from the movie The Lion King. So if you remember The Lion King, um, at the end of the movie, uh, Simba's been accused of murder by his uncle Scar. And uh, as Scar is pacing around him and Simba's retreating in fear, he slips and he's hanging onto a cliff. He's about to fall off with Scar menacingly accusing him overhead. And Scar for a moment stops and in delight says, Hmm, where have I seen this before? Let me think. Ah, yes, this is just how your father looked before he died. Here's my little secret. I killed Mufasa. So, do you remember that scene? So, right now, right now, as Jesus heads into the wilderness, you need to know, this is the cliff, okay? The wilderness that Jesus is heading into is the cliff where everyone has fallen and failed and died. That Adam, this fountainhead of humanity, living in a garden, which, you know, is nice, but it was a wilderness, was tested, tried, and he failed. And the result for him and all of us was death. If you go and read through Genesis, you see this happen. They, they fall apart in chapter 2, and they fail. And in chapters 3 and 4, there's just lots of death. And, and pretty much what happens after that is all of us repeat the pattern. 
that God leads us by the Spirit out into the world. And uh, when the devil tempts us, we last for about half a second before we give in and we fail. In other words, Jesus is approaching a cliff where there's a family history of failure. Uh, He's entering the wilderness of temptation knowing that every single son and daughter of Adam for all of human history has failed. Every single blasted one of us has failed. Not a single one of us has stood up in the face of temptation and trusted God with our whole heart like we're supposed to. And the result has been selfishness, pride, dysfunction, death. We can go on and on. And it's important that when you look through this account, you see what's really going on here. That Jesus is really being tempted. That the devil is really good at what he does. Doesn't pull any punches. In verse 3, we see him make this really brutal frontal assault. He's, he's bringing his A game. If you are the Son of God. You see that, verse 3? If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Forty days, no food, all by yourself. Forty days ago with a crowd, God the Father in front of everyone said, You were the beloved Son, well pleased. Now, forty days later, you are hungry and alone. The devil comes and says, If you're really God's Son, just, just provide for yourself. The temptation to prove who you really are. The temptation to provide for what you desperately need. Forty days, you're, you're starving to death. And then again, number two, takes them up and shows them all the kingdoms and all the power and all the authority in a single glance. It says, all you have to do is worship me. Think of the temptation. Jesus is a king. And in order to rule his kingdom, he will have to suffer. He's already doing it. He's come low to be with his people. In the end, he'll have to go to the cross. He knows he has to suffer. This is the easy way to power, to rule, the pain-free way. And in verse 9, again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. God will protect you. Provision, power, protection. Are you really the Son of God? Why don't you prove it? So these are well-aimed, well-argued temptations for Jesus, the Son of God. It's not for any reason, no reason that the devil is sort of one million and zero in the win-loss column of temptation. He's the best liar ever. There's a scene, I told you you needed to know the movie The Dark Knight Rises. So there's a scene in the movie where uh, Bruce Wayne, not yet Batman, who's still like rehabilitating, um, knows that there's a way out. There's a way out of the pit and involves this treacherous climb. And uh, about two-thirds of the way up, there's this impossible leap from one broken ledge to another. And as Bruce Wayne reaches the first ledge, the the men have been shouting the entire time. Uh, As he makes that that leap, what happens? Absolute silence. Absolute silence. This is the moment of death or freedom. 
And right now, as Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, this is the moment of silence, okay? This is where he either goes down like everyone else who's always gone down, or he comes out the other side. And we have hope. And we see in the text that he's tempted just like we are, but he's triumphant. Jesus does something that Adam didn't do and that we don't do. He, he trusted God. Uh, if you read the text simply uh, and just sort of cursorily, you'll see like, okay, he, he quoted scripture. He did. And uh, in particular, he quoted from Deuteronomy every time. And it, it might be easy to look at that and say like, if I just know the Bible and quote Deuteronomy more, more often, uh, I'll be able to resist temptation. And uh, the Bible here is not like a magic talisman. Uh, what's going on here is Jesus is trusting God's word. He is taking God's law for God's people and saying, I will listen to that rather than you. Even though everything you have to say tempts me and I want it, I will listen to that, God's law and word, because it's God's word. I will trust him. And he triumphs. Jesus does what none of us have done. He he obeys. You, You may be thinking like, what do you mean he does what none of us ever do? I trust God. He obeys. Okay? Take the word obey and put it in your mouth. How much do you hate that word? You hate that word, right? Right? And we don't like that word. Jesus wholeheartedly trusts the Father to such an extent that he obeys God's law in order to avoid temptation. And it's in this way, this way, that he's triumphant. It's in this way that he's triumphant. The devil, in verse 13, departs. He leaves until an opportune time. This right here, friends, is the first triumph in history. The first time. First time the devil's left a loser. During the climb, the men shouting in some foreign language the word rise. Bruce Wayne leaps, dead silence, grabs the other side, place explodes in applause. It erupts. Louder than any victory celebration of a game or a concert. This is about life. This is about freedom. And as Wayne climbs out of the pit, he stops at the top for a moment and throws a rope down. And then, with, with the crowd still cheering below, you begin to hear it. The music. It's a good score, by the way. Hans Zimmer uh, doing his thing. You hear the trumpets. You hear the trumpets of victory. Yeah, I see, I see you trumpeters. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, and the trumpets sounding the note of victory, really. And then you hear the drums come in. The drums of battle. I dare you to go back and listen to that and tell me I'm not interpreting this correctly. The trumpets of victory and the drums of battle that say, I've won round one and now the battle is on. There's a war coming and I'm going to bring it. And for the first time, there's hope. Real hope. He throws the rope down. There's freedom. Some of you are going to be tempted tonight to walk out of this lesson and time and say like, Okay, sin and repentance and law and Deuteronomy. Got it. Got to do better. Well, listen, we all got to do better. But if that's all you've got, you missed it. This is not about Jesus being an example for you to do better. This is all about 
Jesus, who's like us and not like us, being not like us, the Son of God, coming down and becoming like us, so he could fully obey God's word, not like us, to make a way for us up out of this pit. This is all about what Jesus has done to triumph for you. It's not an example for you to follow. It's a person for you to embrace. He's done this for you. He's not like us. That's good news. Let's pray.